<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, everyone, welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm very excited to bring on my friend today as a guest. Her name is Anupa King, and you might know her on Instagram, but she is somebody who we've kind of just met through the industry for sure, but have kind of connected over these different things on motherhood and marriage and being creators online. But it wasn't until last year, we were both a participant in the Life After Birth project that Nick's ran in Toronto that I got to hear just a tidbit of her story with postpartum depression. Now, I've heard of postpartum depression. People talk about it. It's obviously a lot more normalized now from horror stories to like the everyday woman. But I had no idea that I would ever come into fearing or existing within any type of perinatal depression like I have this time. So it's been important for me to hear stories like Anupa's. It's been important for me to sit and listen and start to gain more understanding around postpartum depression, should it happen for me and should it happen for so many others to know that they're not alone and that there is so much hope. And I also just want to disclaim, this is one person's story. This is not everybody's story and they are so, so different. So with that, I want to welcome Anupa to the show. Hi, hon. Hi. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, it's a delight whenever I get to bring my friends on this. Like, this is just so fun. You're such a great creator. You're such a sweet mama. I've literally watched you. We were both in today's parent. Was that a year and a half ago? And I watched as like you wrangled two kids for this entire shoot. And here I am just like showing up, like doing my thing. And you're like, you're just like pulling it together with like toddlers in this photo shoot. And every day you do this, you show up and you're a creator, but your kids are so involved. And it's so magical to see, you know, moms with a younger phase of kids really like killing it in that industry and in that world. So I don't know. I just admire the heck out of you. And I'm just so, so happy you're here. So thank you. Exactly the same of you. Like your energy just gives me energy. I see you and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like instantly empowered to just go, go, go. 
Oh my gosh. Not lately though. I've been in bed like half of my entire pregnancy. It's been such a joke. That was so hard. Like that was probably one of the biggest leaps was just like, I like being a doer and a goer and like busy. I don't want to glamorize hustle because I think rest is so important, but like forcibly having to rest was like, it felt rude. I was like, no, like I have things to do. I have places to be. And like the, our whole life just went to crap. I was like, I have to sleep like half the day. Like I'm not at capacity anymore. And that's just been so new for me. And, but I know like going into the toddler years and going into babies, like it it is, it's going to be different, but it means a lot to see people who are really, you know, able to kind of still showcase the possibilities of it all, I guess, you know? It's possible. So let's kind of dive into, first of all, give us a little introduction into who you are, a little bit of your life right now, and then we'll start talking about this other story, this story that kind of takes us back a couple years in your own life. I was brought up in Guyana. Uh, I moved to Canada 2002. Rough moving as an immigrant to Canada my entire, I left everything behind. It took a while to really adjust to culture, living here in a brand new world. Just going to fast forward. I met Andy 12 years ago. We now have Andy's American and like myself, he moved here in the same year for work. He ended up staying in Canada as well. And so when we met 12 years ago, it was this Guyanese girl and this American boy from Portland, Indiana. And it was like, it was almost as if we, I mean, we literally had nothing in common. It was extreme worlds, extreme worlds. And so neither one of us really thought anything of, you know, like this is going to be a thing. Like it just, and then months went by and we both realized it was because of our differences and it was because of how different our worlds were. We enjoyed each other because we were learning so much and we were getting along so well. And so fast forward four years into the relationship, we got married. We now have two boys, Mikey, who's five, Levi, who's three. And Canada's home. This is where we'll be. This is my, where we are now is it's, it's exciting. It's, it's, there's always something new. It's adventurous. Kids are at this age where interesting to see the little people that they've become. Levi finding a voice and forming sentences and Mikey in school right now and coming home with all these fun, exciting projects and how he interprets it to be or how he interprets the world to be and what's happening. And so Every phase is different, but right now it's quite interesting to just look at the two of them and how much they've grown, especially in a pandemic, how, you know, I felt at the beginning of all of this, I felt really guilty because with Mikey, I was out every day. I was doing stuff with him every day. We were always on the go. We were doing stuff with Levi. I've had to like rejig everything to figure out how do I keep a three-year-old entertained And so that's pretty much my day. Like I drop Mikey off, but then it's Levi and it's like keeping him outside and keeping him engaged and keeping him still aware of where we are um, and who we are. Honestly, like it is a wild time. You're talking about entertaining a three-year-old and I'm just like, I'm throwing devices at my kids. Like go, like I don't know. Can you go to the park? And like, what I'm worried about, I'm worried about winter, to be honest. I'm like, what's going to happen then? (laughs) We're just going to meld into the coaches. Like we're just no existing. Like it's, it's such a joke. I feel like we're relearning entire family structures. Now you're relearning how it is like before it was like, 
your marriage was something that obviously had its ups and downs, but now like, oh, now let's put you into like a crock pot of like, of intensity. And like, let's put you all into like this situation where you have to figure out how much you really get along. And everyone's eating so much more food out of the house. Like, oh my gosh. Like I, I literally think we couldn't have three fridges and it be enough. Like we're just, it's just wild how much is going on and how much our lives have changed. And you're really relearning your family structures, relearning your roles establishing new ones. I mean, everything is so different and so much has gone well for so many people. And like, I envy them a little. And then there's a lot of us who's like, it's just kind of been a bit of a shit show. It's been a bit of, it's been a bit of a, it's been a bit of a wild ride for us. So I'm glad to hear that. Like, there's a lot of like fun in that for you though, too. Like with toddlers, it's a totally different world and starting school and all of that. That's a lot going on. Like it's, pretty amazing. And not only that, but you show up online. I know you have such a story. You carried quite big with your pregnancies. Your belly was like right out there and your postpartum body. That's one of the ways that we connected is just through, even though I was like 10 years down the road was so inspiring for me to find others who, you know, shared similar, you know, stories when it came to our bodies after babies and just loose skin and having to deal with a lot of that. All right, let's take a little pause from the show. My fellow Canadians, I know so many of us love those PC Optimum points, probably especially right now more than ever. We love redeeming our points for free stuff. But if you want to get even more groceries and beauty products and life essentials for free, well, now you may be able to. PC Financial has a new no monthly fee account that will make you think about money in a whole new way. It's called the PC Money Account. It's a bank account that makes everyday spending go further. The PC Money account gets you PC Optimum points for doing everyday things like grocery shopping, online shopping, honestly, even like shopping around town. Recently, I went to a little small town and I was able to use my PC Money account for all the little local shops as well. We're all doing that more than ever. And more points mean more rewards. So you can turn your everyday spending, no matter where it's from, into a treat for yourself. The PC Money account is a no monthly fee bank account that makes every dollar of your purchases go further with PC Optimum points. For me personally, I've been just redeeming those PC Optimum points lately on my groceries. It's just been helping with our bills to kind of cut down on that because we've been buying gifts and other things that just an increased time of spending just that time of year. So those PC Optimum points have really been coming into play. And truth be told, they have for us during the holiday season for years. Now the PC Money account, it works like a bank account, but rewards users with 10 PC Optimum points for every dollar they spend anywhere they shop. But you're going to earn 25 points in total per dollar spent at Shoppers Drug Mart. As a welcome bonus, you'll get up to 50,000 points if you take advantage of introductory offers when setting up your account and adding payroll or direct deposit or simply paying bills online. For Canadians who crave more from their money, the PC Money account can help you set savings goals all while being rewarded on your spending with loyalty points you can actually use. Enjoy free Interact e-transfer services and free withdrawals at PC Financial ATMs across Canada. Sign up for a PC Money account today to start earning those PC Optimum points and redeeming on everyday essentials. 
go to pcfinancial.ca slash papaya to open a PC money account and you too can start thinking about money in a whole new way. That's pcfinancial.ca slash papaya. Now let's get back to the show. But I have to say, I thought I faced a lot of criticism. I don't know anybody who's gotten more criticism online for like showing up in your body than you have. How are you doing with that these days? Do you feel like it's been worse in 2020? I feel like my, you know, one of the things that I always do is that like I get offline and I put my phone away and then I'll turn to Andy and I'll say something. And he's like, well, you need to grow thick skin. Like you need to get thicker skin with handling these things. But the truth is it's been Mikey's five. And so, but a lot of it didn't really start and or kind of pop up in my feed when I was very much out there with Levi. Levi was very big with my postpartum showing up from my postpartum journey. It was, was where it started with Levi, but I find the, the first few months of dealing with, it was always, you know, there's the hurt and there's the, I am not, I'm not bulletproof. Like my feelings, my feelings are my feelings. And, but then there was the, um, reflecting back to where I really struggled with Mikey, but not seeing what I was showing elsewhere. Like I I wanted. And so in that frame of mind, I was like, there's a mom out there who's brand new at this and who was feeling the exact same things that I felt with Mikey, but, and she's showing up on social media and she's not seeing those same things or those same qualities in somebody. And so I had to, that became that bigger wall, if you want to call it, as I'm going to push through, this is where I'm going to stand. This is where I'm going to stand because I think it's more important for me is to have a new mom feeling a sense of belonging and feeling a sense of this is normal. And, and I think that spoke volumes over the, Oh my God, tuck that away, put that away, put some clothes on. Nobody needs to see this, that urge to reach out and speak to millions rather than having that one person that was, no, you're disgusting. Stop. And I still get it. I still get it. I still get it every day. Um, not every day, but it's very. It's still very frequent. And I've gotten to the point now where sometimes it it'll get to me if I'm in a very vulnerable state. Now I've developed this behavior where it's it's not me. It's them. I'm here for me. I'm here for my own well being. I'm showing up for my own mental and physical strength, and I'm listening to me my voice is what comes first. It's taken a very long time to get there, but that's where I'm at now. And I think even recently, I think I shared something with you when I posted, they wanted to see the proper put together, you know, side boob shot, but then they didn't want to see the crimp skin or the rolls that were hanging out of my pants. Right. And so it was, no, they, they belong together. It's the same body. It's the same body. It's the same entity. They belong together. And that's what it is. This past week, I had somebody actually send some really harsh messages regarding my marriage. And so I had to step back. I took a couple of days off social media because it's one thing to attack me, but don't come after my kids. Don't come after my husband. Like don't, let's, let's, let's just leave my family out of this. You want to say something about me and my body, go right ahead. Right. I'm learning to deal with it. And I think I've developed a very strong sense uh, of strength to deal with when you're attacking me personally, but not my family. 
All right. So being pregnant, it's the first time I've had to face the words compression socks. And when you hear the words compression socks, you might think of the plain and boring compression socks that only grandmas wear. Well, we're here to break the stereotype. Compression socks can be stylish and everyone can benefit from wearing them. Let me introduce these Socks with Benefits by Dr. Siegels. With a focus on comfort, effectiveness, and style, Dr. Siegels makes fashionable compression socks for the effective relief of tired, achy, and swollen legs and feet. Mine are hot pink and they are so cute and I love, love, love wearing them. Dr. Siegels was founded in 2012 by a surgeon with over 25 years experience treating patients with vein disorders to offer a fashionable alternative to the plain and clinical looking socks that were currently available on the market. The best part is everyone can benefit from wearing them. Anyone who sits or stands for a long period of time, which is pretty much all of us in our jobs, During pregnancy and postpartum, this has been my huge experience and my first time ever using compression socks. For traveling, whether by plane or long car rides, exercising, sports, running, recovery, compression socks work to stimulate circulation in your legs and feet by helping push fluids and blood out of your legs and back up into the heart. The benefits of wearing compression socks includes increased leg energy and circulation, reduces leg pain, reduces swelling in feet and ankles, reduces risk and appearance of varicose veins and blood clots. They are truly socks with benefits for everyone. If you want to treat your feet to a pair of Dr. Siegel compression socks or want to give a loved one a gift of happy and healthy feet, you can visit drsegels.com. That's D-R-S-E-G-A-L-S dot com and use promo code papaya at checkout and you're going to get 20% off your order. That's drsegels.com promo code papaya. Give them a try today. Your feet will thank you. I know mine have been. And for more information on those benefits, you can also visit their website, www.drsegels.com or check out their Instagram at the sock doc. Now let's get back to the show. a hard boundary line. I think that is for so many people. And it's, and it's uncomfortable too, because your kids are young, mine are older. So obviously they give permission for me to put them online and stuff, but it's amazing even how much people like one of the most vulnerable things that you do in life is like your relationships. And if you have children is parenting, these are the two things that you never know if you're doing them right. You never know if you're going to be doing them well enough. You already wake up every day questioning if you're doing a good enough job to have the outside world kind of sit there and be like, you're not like you're actually sucking. And there's such a difference in those who come across with like genuine information and concern versus wow, you're like a horrible parent because there is a difference. feels like you wouldn't be able to differentiate them, but you really, really can. Like I, the other day I was, you know, in my car and somebody just sent me a messenger, like just a reminder, like slip that seatbelt underneath that belly of yours, like just in case, like just love ya. And I was like, of course that was like one of like a thousand messages. But at the same time, I was like, all it took was one. And I was like, oh yeah, like I forgot that's like something I was supposed to do, but it was said in love as opposed to like, you know, how many times I've been kind of ridiculed for being a bad parent for, for certain things or letting my kids, you know, wear certain clothes or, or express themselves in different ways. It can be like, 
I couldn't believe how much hate I got when I let my son pierce his ears. Like unbelievable. Like it was just so shocking. And so, yeah, there's like hard boundary lines sometimes to your point about the hate and stuff, it being not about you and the fact that you, you bring yourself back to why, why you do this. I think that's, I think if there's going to be one positive, we're going to pull, if we're going to really, really pull, if there's going to be one positive to hate messages is it always reminds you of your why it always brings you home to it. If you're, if you allow yourself to see past some of that hate. It's one of the things that I find the more you get oppressive views towards your body or towards your motherhood or towards your parenthood and your, you know, family structures, it reminds you of how much still exists on kind of to conform to like others' opinions or others' choices instead of like really honoring each other. And, and I really think that that's but one thing for me, like, yes, it's one, it's a dividing line between like, whether it's me you're talking about or whether it's my family, but also it reminds me why I do it in the first place. If you show up and tell me that I look disgusting in my postpartum body, guess what? That just reminds me why I will show up with it. Now I get like, I get spicy about it when people are like, um, I can see like your nipples, like you should put on a bra, your nipples are showing through your shirt. And I'm like, now I'm not wearing a bra for three days. Like, how's <laughs> yes. that for you? Like I I'm so, yeah. I'm so petty. Yeah. Like I will be like, nope, now we're doing this. Like But anyways, coming into something that brings so much shame is postpartum. And a lot of listeners already know, you know, my story, but I had never had postpartum before. Not not that I could identify. Maybe I had. Not that I can identify and pull from. We're talking 10, 11 years ago. This time was very, very different. And I had never heard of prenatal depression. So coming into it, all of a sudden, I was like, why am I feeling so much anxiety around this pregnancy and also so much resentment towards this pregnancy? And why am I feeling so detached from this being and all of this stuff? And the more I started to look into it and talk about it. There's a difference between us normalizing things that are normal and also normalizing things that are potentially common, but not normal. Postpartum, perinatal depression being prenatal and postpartum depression are often common, but it's not normal. And the signs and symptoms of it are sometimes very subtle and they kind of grow. And other times they're very alarming and it's obvious. And we've all seen the big horror stories in the news where somebody with postpartum depression did something extreme to harm themselves or to harm their children. And we were like, oh, we need to care more about mothers. We need to have a more focus on this. And like, but it's, it's hard. We don't realize how big it can be and how much shame is around it. Admitting that I didn't feel something for the child growing in me that I in fact felt a little bit resentful was like, I wanted to vomit as I was saying it and also knew that it was important for me to say something because it wasn't normal. It wasn't normal, but as I came to learn was incredibly common. So I would love for you to kind of take us back to your story to, you know, I've, I've heard you share it once and there was not a dry eye in the freaking house. So if we get there again today, I do not have tissues in the room, but that's okay. I would just love for you to share, kind of bring yourself back there. And honestly, I just really appreciate you. When we talk about these things, I really want to, you know, project the fact that you've given permission to have this conversation and that when it comes to talking about these things, oftentimes people will just reach out and be like, oh, I've had this or like, can you tell me about this? And you're, you're oftentimes asking somebody to go back into their trauma. And so thank you for sharing this. I also just want to like create a little bit of a boundary bubble for you. And like, 
you will kind of define how you address this with other people afterwards. But for now, I just really appreciate you sharing your story and, you know, opening this up for so many listeners. So take us back. So I think like yourself, there was a lot that I felt in the middle of my pregnancy. It started at, mind you, we, we tried for quite a bit. We tried for about two years to get pregnant. And, uh, in that moment, Andy and I lived very stressful lives. My work was, I was on the phone 24 seven. And so it was always go, go, go. Both of our lives were go, go, go. And so when we realized after a year of trying that something could potentially be wrong, right? Um, we got nervous. And so we ended up starting taking vacations. We started working less and we started relaxing and, you know, being in stress-free environment because everything tells you, you just have to let it go and, you know, just it'll happen, it'll happen, it'll happen. Ended up, we're sitting in a fertility clinic and I so badly, so badly wanted to get pregnant. I was testing, I was checking my temperatures. We were, Every morning I'm like, okay, I'm ovulating today. Let's do this. We would be, at, we would be at the lake somewhere and he'd be out on the dock having coffee and I'm texting him and I'm like, my temperature is up. This is it. Today's the day. Get back in here right now. <laughs> and so there was just this, you know, everybody'd say new, but don't stress, stay calm. It'll happen. But then a year went by and every month and it was it became stressful. It became extremely stressful because in my head, I'm thinking, I'm still young. Like, why isn't this happening? We're both very healthy, energetic, uh, happy people. And so we're sitting in the uh, fertility clinic. It's November 24th. And they're taking, they're taking my blood. They're doing a bunch of tests. And then they look at me and they're like, well, you're really, your part in this is 98%. His part in this is 2%. And so now I am like, wow, no pressure, Nupa. You got this. This yeah. you know. just a just a small 98% weight on your yeah. shoulder. I'm this is, you know, I'm just I'm gonna have a family and it's just, you know, I'm 98% responsible for it in this moment. Date is November 25th. It's 24 hours after we had our clinic, um, three hour long meeting in the clinic. And I get a call on the phone and you're actually already pregnant. I like jump out of the chair. I'm crying. I excuse myself. I'm sitting in my office. Coworkers are there and they're like, what just happened? I excuse myself. I'm on the phone. Your blood test shows that you're actually pregnant. Now, mind you, the month before the appointment was supposed to happen, I threw everything out and I said, you know what? They're going to tell me what's wrong next month. I don't care anymore. And it was the one month where I threw out the temperature checks. What am I, am I ovulating this year, this month, whatever, don't care. It's, it's yeah. And so I was pregnant and it was, you know, you, you, you talk about this, the feeling of joy and excitement and everything just completely, there's this overwhelmed feeling that no words can really describe that this is this thing that I wanted for this last two years. And it's finally happening after have had miscarriage and so we, you know, life is perfect. I'm, my belly's there. We're, we're happy. Everything's good. 24 weeks into my pregnancy, I get a call and it's my little brother in Guyana and it's my dad on the other line. And my brother has been admitted into the hospital. And so we're not sure what's happening 
um, or how bad this is in my head. I'm thinking it's minor. He's just, you know, fever, whatever. It's a minor hiccup. We've got this first day of him being admitted into the hospital. Uh, I get sent a picture of him lying in the hospital bed and he has tubes everywhere and he's attached to a life support. And I'm on, I remember dropping, I got the image in my phone and I dropped to the ground and I just remember screaming. And then there was this rush of just my body in that moment. It was, I didn't want to feel anything The the joy and the excitement and all everything that surrounded what I've been living in the last 24 weeks had completely disappeared in that instant. Flew back to Guyana for three days for his funeral. And the second I landed in Guyana, I knew something was wrong because I'd started bleeding and I couldn't, I couldn't say to Andy that something, I think something's wrong because I knew he'd say, get the next flight out. In my mind, I'm like, I, this is where I need to be. I need to be in Guyana for my brother right now. And so I started bleeding. It was spotting. I kept it a secret for two days. Didn't say anything to anybody in the family because we were all dealing with our own emotions. I hadn't felt Mikey at all. And we had already named Mikey because um, Mikey's named after his grandfather, his great grandfather. And so I hadn't felt him. And then day three, we're at, we're at the funeral and in Guyana, it's very different. You know, here I've only ever gone to a funeral where the body's taken away and a button's pushed and however many hours later you come back and they hand you and there these are the ashes. In Guyana, I actually had to stand and watch him burn in a pile of wood, his body laying there. As I held my belly and I can instantly feel there was the sadness and then and then the I I don't know if I could do this anymore. I don't know if I can carry on with creating a little human with how I was feeling. There was so much pain and hurt. I came back and I thought I needed to be back on my desk at work instantly. I had given myself zero grief time. And so it was almost as if I was just this robotic piece of thing where I woke up and I got dressed and I went to work and I sat by behind my desk and I completely ignore the fact that I had just lost my little brother and I just watched him cremated. And so three weeks into it, I realized I couldn't move. I was sitting in bed and I couldn't move and I was throwing up. Couldn't even understand what the feeling was. Didn't understand that it was everything. It was grief. It was depression. It was the sadness. It was that time when we found out that Mike was actually okay. He was healthy. He was fine. He was still going strong baby. Then I went to, my family doctor was really, really good at recognizing what my symptoms were and what I was feeling and what I was going through at that time. And so she had recommended starting therapy. And so I had taken some time off from work and we'd gone through 30 weeks pregnant. I, we were going through therapy and we recognized my doctor and my therapist and myself and my husband and my family all recognized that I needed somebody to keep checking in on me every so often to make sure that I was doing fine. It felt good. I was, it wasn't, the joy was slowly coming back. It was as if I was expecting this baby to now fill this hole in my heart from losing my brother. And so it was slowly, uh, calmly coming back. It was as if I was just going by the book and I was preparing this, this was just it. I was writing a birth plan. I was getting the room ready and I was just kind of going through the motions of what I would go through about to welcome a baby. 
And so I thought I was, I thought I had dealt with those pre-existing conditions of grief and what I felt when I was pregnant. But then it was one of those things where it was hard to talk about because I didn't want to seem like this was something that I wanted so badly. And even though I was struggling, I couldn't tell somebody I was struggling because I was fearing that being judged that, hey, you wanted to have a baby. This is, you deal with this. You get those emotions intact and you deal with this grow up or, you know, you have to be strong. And so I felt like if I actually expressed how I really, really felt that that's what would have happened. Like I would have been judged for, you know, where I was, my birth plan didn't necessarily go as planned. I was in labor for a very long time. And when it was, it was to the point where they had just snipped me but he still wasn't coming and I was pushing three hours had gone by and I was still pushing. And then all you hear is prep the room. And in my head, I'm thinking, uh, what's happening. Then finally he, my doctor looked down at me and says, we're, we're going to prep for emergency surgery. But first I want to try a vacuum. And so it was a very tiny room. There were, and I believe there were, um, nurses who were just learning. Uh, they were just there for that day. And so there were now eight, 10 nurses in the room with me because there was a situation happening. And so he prepped the vacuum, he got the vacuum going and the room was so small that you can see him. His back is touching the wall where he is. And I'm, I can't see down where he is, but he's pulling with all his might. The vacuum's clamped onto Mikey's head and he's pulling with all his might And then there's this jerk and the vacuum slips off and you see him go flying back and hitting the wall. And he looks down at me and I'm like, I'm waiting to hear a baby cry, but no, there's still no baby. Mikey's still there. And so Mikey did awesome. He was, his heartbeat was fine. Nothing was wrong with him. He was doing good. He was perfectly good. He was with all of that stress. He was still going fine. They looked down at me again the second time and he said, we're going to try this one last time. If not, we will wheel you out. This time he lifted a leg and he braced it against the back of the wall. And you could just see him pull with all of his might. And so he, and so, and, and, and I could feel it's just, it's, I'm crying, I'm screaming. And you could, the, the room is just like, there's just, it's dense. And it's just this, this, the look and I'm like, and I, my body just melted into that bed as Mikey got pulled out. They put him on top of me. Of course, he comes out with this cone head because of how hard the vacuum pulled. And so he's on top of me. And then it's a blur. It's a complete blur because everything is happening so quickly. They, re, they start, they take him away. They start doing these tests. They start doing a bunch of stuff. And they, and, and I didn't know this at the time, like no, no book prepares you for this, but it's very common for your baby, especially in such a trauma, traumatic birth experience to be diagnosed with jaundice. And so it was, you know, he was taken away. I remember us being in a room. Uh, it was a, I was sharing a room with another family uh, and she had had, this was her, and this was just me because I can hear them speaking, but this was her first kid. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, she, everything is so calm and quiet and nice on the other side. And I felt, I felt like I couldn't trust myself to feel that confidence. And I wanted mm-hmm. to feel that mm-hmm. confidence. I'm like, I'm holding this little human in my hand and I wanted to feel 
that confidence and, 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 you know, like I knew what I was doing. Like I just, nothing, nothing ever prepares you for when you're sitting there alone with your newborn and you're thinking, I've had nine months, more than nine months. I had two years prior to him being pregnant with him to prepare myself for this moment. And in this moment, I felt absolutely helpless and I didn't know what to do. And then in the middle of all of that, you hear the woman who's in my room buzz the nurse and you can hear, and she's saying to the nurse, uh, I think you need to come and check on the woman that's beside me. And mind you, there was no peep from us. My key's just on my stomach. Oh. My key's just on my stomach and we're just cuddling. So this is somebody in the room yeah, with you, like you're sharing semi, a room Yeah, we're in a semi, semi room. Okay. And so you hear her buzz the nurse and the nurse comes by and I don't know if she thinks I was sleeping or napping, but then you hear her say, you need to check on the girl beside me. I have not heard anything. And in that moment... I felt like I was doing everything wrong, even though I wasn't doing anything. I was loving my newborn and I'm reliving the last few hours that had just happened in my mind or, you know, you question so much and you second guess so much. Like, could could I have done something differently? Clearly I couldn't. Whatever had to happen had to happen. And so the nurse, I hear the nurse saying, well, if she needed my help, she would buzz. I think she's doing just fine. And so the nurse keeps in, just pulls the, pulls the curtain a little, looks at me and she says, are you okay? And I said, and I'm crying. And I said, I am okay. And she says, okay, well, if you need anything, you let me know. And in that moment, it was just, there was a rush of relief and like, I got this, I can do this. Before the night had ended, they actually came to take Mikey away from me because he did have jaundice. And yeah. so I get them under those lights. Had, he had to be underneath a light. And so there came the challenge of he's under the light, then he's in my arms for less than 10 minutes and he has to be fed. And we're going to try and get him to poo and we try and get him to burp him. And he's not latching. And then, you know, he goes back under the light, but you only have 10 minutes to do all these things. And then every two seconds, you would find a different nurse is coming in the room and they don't necessarily announce who they are or tell you who they are. They show up, they grab baby, they show up with baby underneath your boob, they grab your boob out of your bra and they just start going at it. And then, you know, there was a few times where I'm like, excuse me, I don't, I don't think we met. Um, while she already has my boob in her hand with baby space on my boob. Right. And so that's how introductions happen with all the nurses that came to my room. Yes. All right. Taking a pause from the show to talk to all those fellow creators today. If you're a creative, you know, the drill. You're finally done editing. It's perfect. Now you just need to format and reformat for every single platform. With Issue, you can make it once and it's ready to post everywhere. Issue is an all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital publications from brochures to magazines to sales collateral and more. It's perfect for creators, as well as marketers, designers, educators, publishers, salespeople, or anyone that wants to make eye-catching content. And Issue makes it easy, 
Simply upload your PDFs and files and Issue transforms them using your vision and customizable templates to create the content you want. With Issue, you create it once and distribute it everywhere. Everything is optimized to post on your website and social platforms like Instagram and Facebook that can even help you make animated Instagram stories. And you can start using Issue for free. They also offer premium features that give a more customized experience. I've been using Issue for a little while and just getting to know it. And honestly, I'm so impressed at the ease of use. I'm always intimidated by anything new, but I really love getting hands-on with it. And Issue's made it so easy to do so. You can get started with Issue today for free. Or if you sign up for a premium account, you'll get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash papaya and use promo code papaya. Now, the spelling's a little different, so that's I-S-S-U-U. I-S-S-U-U dot com slash papaya and use promo code papaya at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. Issue.com, I-S-S-U-U.com slash papaya with promo code papaya. Now let's get back to the show. That was actually something they talked about in my prenatal this last week was she was saying like you can create your own boundaries and have different things that you can have your partner help you, like help advocate for you. And she was like, I'll tell you what mine are. She goes, one, She's like, I, if you're going to touch me, I want to know your first name. And I was like, oh my gosh, how many hands have been in my vagina or on my tits that I've not known their first name. And the other one that she said was like, just a reminder that while this is like the biggest event of your life, this is somebody's job. And so it's like that differentiating factor of understanding that like, yes, they're doing their job, but also you might have just come through what's a hugely traumatic experience for you, not only yourself emotionally, but your body. And it, and it's like this melding of worlds and it, and it sometimes can feel really difficult when you're just like, at that point, you just feel like an object. Like we talk about women being objected all the time. (laughs) Give birth. You feel like an object. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly how it felt. And so you know, and then even with the burping, I remember there was just vivid memory of me being very gentle and like, okay, you can do it. That's, we've got this, you know, give me a burp. But then you'd have the nurse who would like come into my room and just like take him away, like very aggressively and hold him on her leg and just like go at it. And it's like, I mean, she would, she would eventually get a burp, but in my head, I'm thinking there's this you know, I'm terrified. Like, what if I drop him? What if I'm hurting him? What if? And so those feelings, they were so consuming. They were absolutely consuming. I felt like I could not take my eyes off of him. I felt like there wasn't, like I had to go pee, but, but what do I do? Do I try to carry him with me while I go? Like, I can't stop. Like, I can't, is he's going to need me. Like, I still need to stay focused. And like the phantom cries that you hear, It's such like, I literally had to start putting like a baby bouncer outside of the shower when I had Maya, because I honestly thought that something, I thought I could hear her crying at all times, no matter, and it wouldn't even be real. Your emotions, your hormones, it's all out of whack. It's your body is trying to heal and bring back to bring you back to where you really were, but yet still prepare it to nurture this little human being. And so there's just this, this, all of emotions that you feel in that moment. There's no book that really prepares you 
for what you're going to feel. We brought him home. I had a horrible experience with breastfeeding. And again, it was one of those things where you're not breastfeeding. Well, you really should try and breastfeed. You know, he needs breast milk. And so those were the words and the voices that kept echoing, like formula was bad. And, you know, and, and so it was, it got into the point where I'm like, he's hungry. I'm going to feed him whatever it is I'm going to feed him. I will feed him no matter what it is. And then it came to the point where even though, you know, it was a week into him, he's, he's a week old. And I had a very close family member came to visit and I'm still wearing my maternity dresses because you know what? I still, it looked like I was still pregnant and it was now now I know that that's what, that's, that's reality. But I remember mm-hmm, saying mm-hmm. goodbye to this person. And before we closed the door, she looked down at me and she said, maybe we should get you some new clothes where you don't still look pregnant. Those words hit me so hard. Like here I was trying to understand this new body of mine and nurture for a little human And then somebody actually say those words to me. Which they probably thought was so nice. Like, oh, let's make sure you're feeling better. And let's make sure we get you in some clothes that fit now. But like how that would would be received is so different, especially when you have no idea. And I think that's one of the biggest things is like, even when you're saying something so small and so subtle, you don't realize how many subtle things you've heard that day, that week, that through that entire experience, it freaking adds up. It felt really long, all of it, nights, the days, it all felt so long. Andy went back to work. He was home with me for a few weeks, but then he went back to work and it was, I'd stare at the clock and I'm like, and I, and I text and be like, you're on your way. And then it will just be like that moment where I just wanted to have somebody in the house so I can just hand him off and, you know, and that usually meant me handing it off and just getting a shower or washing my hair or just sitting on the bottom of the bathroom floor and just shaking and crying. It was hard because I didn't, the struggles I felt, I didn't know how to openly speak of them to anyone, including Andy, because again, I wanted a baby. I wanted to be wanted a child and I wanted to be a mom, but I didn't understand how to deal with those emotions and those struggles. Five months after he was born, I was so hard on myself. I tried it. I tried to go out and I tried to run and I tried to have a little bit of time for myself, but I always ended up finding that I was constantly saying bye to Andy in the morning and then I'd end up in the bathroom floor and I was crying again and I didn't know why. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to do or how to fix it. And then we were at the park and he's sitting in, he's sitting in the swing. It was one of the very first days that I actually felt good because I'd gotten up and I'd like showered and I felt, I felt nice. And I thought, let's go to the park and we'll hang out. And then I had this gentleman walked up to me and in my head, I mean, I'm, I'm smiling. I said, I say, hi, he's with this kid. And he looks over at me and I'm swinging Mikey and he says to me, what agency do you work for? And it didn't register at, in that moment. And so it began and, and, and there was just this, it was almost as if somebody had like put their hands on my shoulder and just sort of started shaking me. And I, 
lost for words. I was, and he recognized you that he saw the tears instantly and he instantly recognized that's the mom. He tried, he tried so hard to apologize. He kept saying all the things that you could possibly say to apologize, but those words had hit me so hard that there was this, this flood of emotion that I'm walking home and I'm crying and I'm feeling like I'm not worthy. I am questioning everything that I'm doing as a mom to Mikey. And it goes back to who can I talk to? You know, I grew up in an environment where my mom and every other woman I, every other woman I knew never showed any signs of weakness. And there, and not to say that there wasn't, but there was never any sign of struggling. They got up, they did what they had to do. They, you know, they made three meals every day. They washed every clothing by hand they swept the house and they made sure the house was in order and the kids were in order and everything was fine. And here I was struggling my five month old and then being questioned whether I was his mom. And so the very next day I had gotten an invite to be um, at a jewelry party in the city. It was within 48 hours of the incident in the park. And so Andy had taken the day off to, to spend some time with Mikey so I can go into the city. And this would have been five, five months later, this would have been the first time ever that I'm by myself and I'm doing something by yeah. myself without a child. And I got in the car and it felt really weird because he wasn't in the back seat in that stroller in that car seat anymore. And so I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm replaying this incident at the park and I'm replaying the emotions that I feel and how I hide my emotions and the crying and the struggling. And then I'm replaying how when I'm not fit, when I'm not looking at Mikey or physically holding him and that cry, that, that young baby cry echoing in my head, making me feel like I'm so not worthy of being a mom. And I'm coming over onto a bridge as I'm heading into the city and it's very slow traffic and I'm, I'm behind the wheels and I'm in the car and all these emotions kept rushing through my body. And all I can think about in that moment was just drive the car off this bridge. And I just wanted to end how I felt. I just wanted to end the feeling of not being worthy of being a mom, being Mikey's mom. I didn't, I didn't want to be called a nanny. I didn't, I didn't, I wanted somebody to see whether or not they knew what happened in my house. I wanted them to see and understood that I was struggling without me having to say it. And I wanted somebody to recognize what I was feeling, even though I wasn't voicing it. And then there's this long honk behind me because I'm not car is still there. And so I'm, I'm driving and I'm trembling and my hands, I'm, I'm like, what am I doing? Where am I going? What's happening? I'm now taking directions from my phone as to where to turn and what to do. And I'm now in the city and I'm sitting in the parking lot. And I recognized that it wasn't a conversation that I can just call and have on the phone with Andy in that moment. Like I could not just get on the phone and say something to somebody about how I was feeling. So I showed up, I showed up the, I showed up at the event. We were up, we went up, I went up and I kind of, I put on a smile. I had a smile on my face and I just, I kept, I, you know, I was greeting everybody and we were taking pictures and we were doing everything. And then a couple hours went by and I'm driving home and there was just so much guilt. There was so much guilt in that moment that I didn't want to exist anymore. 
and I didn't want to feel what I was feeling. And I didn't know, I didn't know how to get help anymore. And so we got home and I walked through the door and I fell into Andy's arms and he instantly knew, he instantly knew something was wrong. And that's when we talked, we went through my schedule, my days and where in my days that, that I, I felt like I was nothing. I felt like I was not worthy. In that moment, it was a combination of my brother being called a nanny, not understanding why I still looked pregnant, you know, not recognizing that, no, I can't make every meal every day or get to the dishes every day or do the laundry every day or sweep the floors every day. You know, they were all very good intentions before I became a mom. Oh, I'm going to have all this time on my hand to furnish the house that we had just moved into. So I got help. It, we, we were back. We, were, we had gone around full cycle and I'm back with my therapist. And we were back to getting help and me actually being put on medication. But again, it was one of those things where I had to, I felt like I had to keep it private because my family doesn't really, the culture is so different and depression isn't a word commonly used, not something that it's, you, you know, it's, it's suck it up. It's, you got stuff to do, like move on. Like this isn't, this isn't a thing. Getting help, you know, seeing somebody talking it through, being on medication, I wasn't necessarily feeling whole again, but I knew that I had one person, even if it was just one person to talk to, I knew I could show up and just let it out and cry about it and talk about it. That was where I changed my frame of mind of not wanting to exist. I was still struggling, but I had to deal with the not wanting to exist first before I can deal with everything else. All right. I love talking about this podcast sponsor because it is just so exhilarating and also relaxing. And let me explain exactly what I'm talking about because today I'm talking about Dipsy. The holiday season can bring feelings of stress, anxiety, even loneliness. This year, more than ever. And when you're feeling overwhelmed, pleasure is often the first thing that gets overlooked, even though it's exactly what might help you most. Make your sexual wellness a priority with Dipsy and start feeling like yourself again. Maybe you need to unwind after a long day of Zoom calls, looking for some new self-care ideas, or maybe you're just looking for a way to get out of a funk and start feeling like yourself again, so you can reset and reconnect with yourself using Dipsy. What is Dipsy exactly? Well, it's an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Yes, that's right. Each Dipsy story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios so you feel like you're right there. Find stories about an off-limits hookup with your professor or a costume party that takes things to the next level. Or maybe a story where your partner tells you exactly what to do or you try a new toy together. They release new stories every week, so there's something new to explore all the time, no matter what you're into or what turns you on. Dipsy also has wellness sessions to help you learn more about yourself and bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off 
I have to personally say I am blown away how relaxing Dipsy is and how much it's really helped me connect, not just with my body and sexual wellness, but my mind. It's really tapped into some of the deeper parts of me that I really was so excited to discover. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash papaya. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash papaya. That's spelled D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash papaya. I really hope you check it out because it is actually so exciting, so exhilarating, and like I said, so relaxing. Dipsystories.com slash papaya. Now let's get back to the show. I so relate to when you said that because that was my story, you know, years ago. It wasn't suicidal in the way that like I thought about certain things. It was more of like, I just want to cease to exist. And it was so foreign and so weird. And here I was trying to figure out, and similar to you, like trying to figure out how to exist. But first you want had to want to, you had to want to do it. And that's kind of where, I mean, it's a rock bottom starting point, but that's the starting point in which like, okay, now I need to want to exist. And the steps from there are, you know, managing how. Now that was obviously like, how long was that whole process for you in that first postpartum journey? You didn't start to really get help until about five months after. When did you start feeling like you might be feeling better? Like when did you start to have that hope again? I was still in therapy and I was still getting help when I got pregnant again. And so we did not think that we could have gotten pregnant again. And so there was this moment of really understanding where I was and what what I was going to do, understanding, oh my God, I am pregnant again, but yet I was dealing with all this other stuff. And I felt like I there was this force and there was this push to, well, how do I make me better? so that I can, I can go ahead and do this all over again. That's where I ended up becoming so present on social media. This was my chance to, and understand whether I was alone or not, but just to know, was there anybody else out there dealing with the same things that I was dealing with? And so that's how I found the platform of moms on social media. It is. It is exactly what a force. It was only then, it was only then that I really, I felt like when I got pregnant with Levi, I had not gotten back to what I was pre-baby. Like my body was still trying to heal. And so, but for some reason, part of me felt like, this is my chance of really accepting what this body was doing. And it was, it was a miracle. It was a miracle that here we are. We weren't trying to get pregnant as compared to how long we did with Mikey. And here we were being blessed with this little miracle and my body was doing this for me. And so I was able to, you know, with photography through Instagram, I was able to connect with a lot of moms, um, a lot of photographers on Instagram who were in postpartum or who were uh, being a mom, 
you know, there were days and days and days where I'd just have be talking to a random stranger, but yet connecting so much with that random stranger because they were feeling exactly what I was feeling. That's such the joy of social media is how it can connect you like in our lives and in our everydays, we might have commonalities with our peers or our neighbors or our community. But when you fall into niche areas of life and circumstances, it can be really hard to find those people. And how else do you find them except for to reach outside of that bubble that you live in and to know that you can go into spaces now and merely look into a hashtag or find people in your area that might be talking about the things that you haven't even had found words to yet. And you get to hear somebody else kind of share through them. It changes you. It's it's the reason it's honestly the reason I started even blogging in the first place was because I was lonely in motherhood and I found other moms who were just like me and they had these big full lives while being moms and being creatives. And I felt so much hope and joy in that. And I didn't have that with my next door neighbor. I didn't have that with my peers and friends because not everybody in your life is going to align at the exact same time and know what you're going through. There's something about somebody who has gone through something before that can kind of that step ahead of you and, and help you through that. And then there's those who like, we're in this together right now. And I, I feel that right now being pregnant on social media, all the women who are like, we're all due around the same time. I cling to their content because I feel so bonded to them. I feel like we're, we check in with each other and we know, we know what each other is experiencing. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And can really, you can really speak out your fears. You can really speak out a lot of the stuff you're going through and feel like you're being heard because that person understands. But I got to ask, like, you know, with Mikey, obviously there's so many different levels of grief between your brother, between your birth plan, between your body. And then, you know, a lot of the racial microaggressions that you were experiencing. These are so many different levels of grief. When you found yourself going into healing and now finding yourself pregnant again, how different did it feel the second time? I felt like I was giving a second chance to, I knew I was always good and I knew I was always doing the best I could, but I felt like I could, have, I could be better. But I, in that moment, when I was pregnant with Levi, that's what I kept feeling. But now that I look back at it, I was always my best self. I was always my best self. I was their mom and I was doing everything in my power to keep them nurtured and happy and safe and healthy. And that was all that mattered. But in that moment when I was pregnant again with Levi, it was almost as if here's your second chance of feeling that joy and that excitement, everything that you wanted to feel that was somehow taken away from you. I remember stopping therapy. I remember stopping uh, medication too. And it was, I'd found this different kind of energy and I started dancing. I hadn't done that with Mikey. I started with Levi. I started dancing very early. And so it was in moments where I felt sad or weak or vulnerable, I would put on something all my life, all my life in Guyana, I'd been a dancer. And so I put on music and I would just dance. And I felt like I kept doing it over and over and over. And I'd dance and I'd cry. I'd dance and I'd cry. I'd dance and I'd sit in the corner of the room and I'd shake and I'd cry. But I got up and I'd dance and then I'd smile. And some days, you know, I'm the happiest dancer. Some days I'm the saddest dancer. But it was as if 
it had replaced what my therapy was. And I didn't necessarily need to say the words of how I was feeling. I just kind of expressed it through moving. I think a few months into being pregnant with Levi, I had felt pretty sexy and my body was just this, I'd look down at it and just be proud. That feeling of, you know, why did you fail me if not bouncing back was not a thing anymore. Like, I got this. I can do this. All the way to the end of Levi, I danced. I was dancing. I remember those videos. (laughs) Four hours before he was born, I was dancing. Was I scared? I was. I was very scared of feeling how I felt after Mikey was born. Anxious and excited and nervous. Yes, I was everything. I was all of it. Going into giving birth to Levi, it all happened so quickly as compared to Mikey. Levi, I pushed for 11 minutes. Levi was out. And I remember thinking, well, you know, birth plan I could possibly imagine having had just been executed. He was out and I was, I remember waking up and I was, wow, I was just, it just happened. Like he was already here. Um, And that was four hours after I had done my last big belly dancing. (laughs) Three days after Levi was born, I started bleeding balls, golf ball side clots. It was, it was terrifying. Got to the bathroom, sitting on the bathroom and I'm just crying profusely. And I'm like, I'm weak, I'm dizzy. And the second I stand up, there's just, it literally I stand up and it's just one ball after the next. And so we called, um, we got telehealth on the line and they said, take her to emergency right away. And so walking through emergency and I just remember being completely embarrassed because couldn't wear enough pads to hold it up. Walking through emergency instantly into a room to sit on a toilet bowl and I don't, it's all such a blur. I don't remember where Andy had disappeared to, but the nurse is sitting. She's actually on her knees while I'm sitting on the toilet and I'm crying and crying because I have no idea what's happening. Three days, three days. I should be home with my newborn right now. Yeah. Yeah. She's trying to calm me down. She's like, you're, this is fine. You're okay. We're going to figure this out. You're going up. You're going to get your ultrasound and we're going to figure out what's wrong. Within an hour, we're at the ultrasound. I was bumped up. It was a Sunday, but I was bumped up to highest level of emergency. The results come back and a huge chunk of my placenta had been left behind when Levi was born. Nobody's saying anything. All I know is that there's still something there. Nobody's telling me what happened or how, you know, what's going on. The doctor comes in and he says to me that the surgeon, it's a Sunday. They don't operate on Sundays but we need you on the operating table like right now. And so somebody's on the way within less than an hour, it could have been, and I'm on the operating table and I'm still crying. I'm still bleeding. I'm still crying. I'm lying there. And I remember looking down at my body as I'm being told to count backwards from 10. I looked down on my body and the only thing that rushed through my mind in that moment as I was counting back is how horrible 
I've been to this body of mine. I'm counting. And all I kept thinking was, please, I just want to be home with my baby. I promised that I would take care of you. It was almost as if I was praying to my body. Not, I was just saying, if you get me through this, if you fight with me, I will fight with you and you get me through this. I promise I will take care of you and I will do everything in my power to keep you healthy. And that was my, my prayer was literally just to this vessel that I'm in right now. And I think those were that moment on that table counting and crying. And everybody heard me. There were words that I actually said out loud. There were words that I was saying out loud because I had just, I did not want to be there in that moment. And I did, as I was fading I just feel the tears running down my face that I, this was my, this was my chance that once I was awake again, this was my chance to be my best self. It's so amazing how experiences so huge like that can bring you home to a reality that you didn't realize you needed. I mean, we spend so much of our lives hating our bodies and working against them and criticizing them and taking that time in the mirror to say things that are so, so hurtful. And then in split seconds, you're just begging for survival. The rest of it kind of falls away. I don't care what I look like. I don't care. Get me home to my babies get me home. Let's do, and it becomes more of a respect conversation as opposed to an aesthetics. Like, a, a, like how, how do I look is no longer as important as a, I will respect the hell out of you if you get us yes. through this. Yes. That's exactly what it was. I was asking for forgiveness. I was just literally sitting, lying there asking for forgiveness for all the times that I hated on you. And all the times that I thought you had betrayed me for not bouncing back or going back to what you were pre-baby. I woke up in the hospital the next day thinking, and this, I think this is where my turning point was. I had to find a new me. I had to find a new Anupa. There was no pre-baby Anupa body. I had to rediscover who I was. I had to rediscover my own identity. Yes, I am my own person, but I also had these two little humans that were with me. And so rediscovering me, that was the path that I had to focus on in this healing journey. Acknowledge and not be fearful of if and when I struggle or have that anxiety attack again, recognize it and do something about it. Whether it's talking to somebody, dance if you have to, just don't let it consume you or bottle it, bottle it in and then just have it blow up. Yeah. And that's the consistency in your entire story from that first pregnancy all the way through your postpartum is how much you just held to yourself, you're bleeding in pregnancy and you hold it to yourself. You are grieving your brother and you show up to work that, you know, right afterwards, you're just constantly trying to bottle things up, but the brain and the heart doesn't work that way. If therapy's taught me anything is like, you actually can't do that. It doesn't work. You can't escape trauma. 
You can't go you can't go around it. You can't just avoid it. It will follow you everywhere until you deal with it. And in dealing with it is like instead of just bringing this chapter and, and elongating it into an entire story, you get to turn the page. There's a there's a turning. It's a, it's a, it's a tangible change in which you're like the old and the new, and it's still a part of your story, but it is no longer defining it anymore and pulling you back in over and over and over. And this is what I love about you is that you do this on social media. And I know we're friends, so I get to hear some of the background noise and stuff as well. But there's so much that you just, you show up for that new self. You show up for her despite how difficult it's been, you show up through that grief now and you do it so boldly. And I mean, there's so many layers. I know you have a whole other thing with, you know, your kids and their swimming lessons and the reasons why you've done this anti-drowning swimming lessons. And there, there's so many layers to you. And there, a lot of it is rooted in trauma, but mostly in healing and just being able to witness and read and watch you kind of go through that, knowing that you're no longer a bottled version of Anupa. You are true Anupa now. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And honestly, I can't thank you enough for sharing such a significant part of all of that. I know it's so much. I sit here just crying, going like, this is so, it's so, so much. And yet you are, and this is the thing that I feel is, the important takeaway for me is you're one of the most joyful people that I've ever met. Like you just, you are joy. And I think that that's kind of the hope story in all of this is like, you can be somebody who's come from so much trauma and grief, so much sadness, so much, like I might drive my car off this bridge feeling too joy-filled and dancing through pain, not, not free of pain, not free of it, but with it and dancing through it and crying and honoring those tears, honoring those emotions, honoring all parts of that motherhood now. And, and I think that's what's so special about you, but I have to, I know we have gone a little over time, but it was so worth it. So worth it. Tell everyone where they can kind of find you because her content is not only just like so well written in terms of like capturing you, but your imagery is beautiful. You have this softness, low to your photos. Your boys are stunning and you talk about so much and you share so much and I just appreciate it. And I would, I know so many others would benefit as well. So share where everyone can kind of find you and start diving in. Oh, Sarah, listening to you, just putting all that back into that summary. Oh, thank you. That's how I feel though. It's real. You know, you don't necessarily hear someone speak of you a lot when you, what you just did there's just the sense of empowerment. And then there, there's the sense of, you know what, I, I could do this. I'm, you know, there are days where I still struggle, but listening to you just summarize all that I've, that you've just said, it's, it's given me, there's the strength you like, it's, you just pulled the strength that's just deep down inside me. And thank you. Thank you for that. Yes, I do share quite a bit. My my subjects are my boys and myself, really. Um, you can find me uh, at the Noopster, D-E-N-U-P-Z-T-E-R. Thank you for advocating for getting help and for talking and the difference that it makes in someone's life when you stop holding things in and just the awareness that there are so many other people out there ready to listen, ready to hear your story, connect with your story, and the value in 
you know, finding those connections to help you kind of heal through it. So everyone listening today, thank you if you if you listen to the whole thing. But I just really encourage you, go check out Anupa's page. She's just such a delight. And you can even go back and see some of her dancing pregnant <laughs> videos or some of the best things that's ever shown up on Instagram for me. So I hope everyone gets a chance to kind of get to know you a little bit more. And thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And we will see you again next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.